As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. There's been one demand, and that's holding up that Lombardi trophy, period. That's all I care about, is holding that trophy up and holding that trophy up here. The prime thing is you have to win. You have to win. Otherwise, you can't be a success in professional football. You're listening to The State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, and Ted Nguyen on the Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to State of the Nation here on the Athletic Podcast Network. The presenting sponsor for today's episode of State of the Nation is Visa, a network working for everyone. I am Jimmy Durkin, joined, as always, by Vic Tafer, Deshaun Reed, and Ted Wynn. And the Raiders, they're 5-4. and four. After that, uh, we won't even speak much about that loss to the Chiefs. It was an ugly performance, an embarrassing performance. And here they are, two-game losing streak. We've seen this story before. We've seen it the last two years, where this team gets off to a good start to its season and then uh it gets away from them and that's the big question right now is how do the Raiders prevent this season from getting away from them and it'll start on Sunday when they take on the Cincinnati Bengals who are in a similar position they were once five and two they were once the number one seed in the AFC with the Raiders as the number two seed and they've lost two in a row and I'm going to get into uh, some of the similarities between these two teams in a little bit but for the Raiders I mean it's really the big question right now right is how do they prevent them from collapsing again yeah, and I asked Derek, you know, yesterday, you know, for the guys that have been around, you know, for those those couple late season collapses that they had the last two years, you know, had they learned anything from those experiences that they could use moving forward? And it seemed like he was really focused on the disposition of the guys in the locker room. He was saying as, as things started to, to crumble the last couple of seasons, um, he saw some, like some, some guys hanging their heads and uh, not showing up as early anymore and, and kind of the work ethic start to, to suck off a little bit. You know, he says it's, it's been different this year, and I know that's like a common refrain from Derek. It is pretty early as well. Like We're only at like the midpoint of the season, more so than it being late season at this point. Really, no matter what they say, it's, it's really about their actions. I don't think there's anything that, whether it's Carr or a coach or whoever it may be, could, could do to ease the minds of their fan base that it's not, you know, they're not going to, you know, flounder this opportunity that they have, you know, to, to be in postseason contention, you know, and, and whether it's, you know, losing against an inferior team in the Giants or, you know, getting blown out from the Chiefs, the kind of signs are there that they may be, you know, going down the stretch here, may not be that same team to start off five and two early in the year. And so, 
we really won't know until we see the games played, obviously. But like, I don't have a, a great gut feeling about how the rest of the season is going for them based on the ways things are, are trending, some of the the consistency of some of the issues that they've had. They have a, a pretty you know difficult schedule down the stretch here. I think they only go against one team that has a losing record right now, and so. It'll definitely be a challenge for them, you know. You know, they, they believe they're capable, but we got to see it to believe it at this point. Yeah, I don't think anyone has any idea. I think the players have no idea about the, how this week will turn out. If they'll be able to bounce back, I'm, I'm not sure they really have fully identified the problem last week. I mean, when you don't show up or when you get out coached, I think it's hard to look at it and say, "Well, we can do this better next week." So, I was a little surprised Derek mentioned like those the lack of effort last year. I thought that was something like, new for him to say, but I get it. He's looking for reasons why to, to think this year will be different. And I think um, I, there is more talent. I, I agree with him there that this year this team is more talented than last year's team. But last year's team played you know pretty well, pretty tough against the Chiefs both times. So. They were totally dominated uh, uh, last week. So the Bengals, the thing about the Raiders this year is one thing that's been one of the few constants is they can't stop the run. And uh, Joe Mixon is really, really, really good. So that's a, that's a bad matchup for them. So I think it's going to be tough for them to turn around this weekend. The main difference that we've seen, um, the Raiders actually have a defense that's not, you know, like a bottom 10 unit. And they have one of the best pass uh, rush duos in, in the league. So I think that is a reason for some optimism and also you know i think that in the past couple of years there was nothing major that really caused them to to kind of sink halfway through the season but this year there are plenty of reasons you could point to to why they might be playing a little worse you know and i know they don't want to use those things as an excuse but you know those are legitimate reasons why you know that could really throw a team off uh, off balance so We'll see if they could recover from those things. I agree with Vic. I think there is more talent on this team. You know, I think the, the loss of Henry Ruggs did hurt, and you kind of see what the difference, how, what kind of difference speed does make in the few snaps that Deshaun Jackson played last week. So I, I think there's reasons to believe that this team can come back and, and start playing good football again. And I think, you know, against the Bengals, it's a, it's a pretty good game to kind of reset because they're not a terrible opponent where you can just excuse this win and say you know if they do win you you can't just say oh it's a crappy team they beat a crappy team it's actually a quality team and it's not a team that's so overwhelmingly you know overwhelmingly good that you know there's there's a a small shot that you can beat them so I, i think this is a pretty good opportunity for the raiders to get back on track against a team with a winning record that is up there in the afc standings if I were to point to the reason why I'd be pessimistic about them being able to pull themselves out of this, it's that, you know, while, while we say that this team is more talented than last year, and as Ted pointed out, I mean, this team has a defense that can make plays, they can do stuff. They're not as good on offense. This is not as good of an offense as it was last year, I don't think. They don't have that Nelson Aguilar, who, you know, was really good for them, obviously, last year, and we came up in big moments. Obviously, they don't have rugs, and especially the rugs that they had early in the season was playing really well. And, um, you know, even last year, he, he didn't have a great rookie season, but, you know, he was a field stretcher. Their running game is not as good. You know, you see what they got out of Josh Jacobs in that running game against the Chiefs, and, uh, you know, it just wasn't there. I mean, he hasn't had a 100-yard game this season. And, Vic, I want to talk to you about this because I know you're writing about this here on Thursday. They're not getting the kind of impact out of Darren Waller that most teams are able to get from a guy who is among the top two or three players at his position in the league. And, you know, we saw what the Chiefs were able to do where they said, you know what, Travis Kelsey is going to beat the Raiders. And 
We saw what the Raiders did in the opener, targeted him 19 times. Since then, uh, they haven't come close to approaching that. And I think just looking at the whole offense as a whole, they're not as good as last year. And if they're going to be an offense that can really be that top 10 unit that can really threaten teams and can help them win games, I think getting him and forcing him to be involved more is going to be a key. Yeah, I agree. I think it's definitely, uh, I don't know if it was an overcorrection from that first game, but they seemed like they were okay with all the targets he got. And, and it's your fault. You're the one who questioned the 19 targets. You were the one who like was asking everybody about it. So That is true. Play Vic. It is my fault. But um, besides that, though, I think um, it is, I'm sure, and Darren, I'm sure, won't say this, but I'm sure he's a little frustrated because he wants to be seen as a top tight end in the league. And that game on, on Sunday night showed, like you said, one guy was used no matter what. Like they found a way to give him the ball. And the Raiders, it seems like they're, I don't know if they're too confident in the other guys, but like, oh, the Chiefs are playing back of coverage. That means we've got to go somewhere else. If they have another guy over top of him, we got to look somewhere else. But somebody else will be more open to make plays, which is, which is fine in theory. But, again, if the guy's, well, I think, you know, top three at his position, you have to give him a chance to make plays, to break some tackles like Travis Kelsey did to, like, to leave his mark in the game. So I think that's a big issue for them uh, the last couple of weeks. And, uh I'm curious to see what happens this weekend. I'm sure the Bengals have a similar strategy, like, you know, a bracket coverage on him to have two guys kind of watching where he goes and limiting his explosive ability. But I think he's that good a player where you can't really worry about that. you got to give him the ball and kind of dictate what you want to do, not let teams dictate what you have to do. The Kelsey comparison is, is, is a good one. Obviously, I think Kelsey is better, but you know, he's been bracketed and doubled a lot this season. That's how teams uh, have attempted to slow down the Chiefs all year with those those two high safety looks. Um, and while the Chiefs offense hasn't been quite what it was, I mean, Travis Kelsey is still top 10 in the league in receiving yards and, and leading all tight ends. And so clearly there's, there's still a way to, to have, you know, a, a player of that caliber be effective, even if defenses are keying in on him. I mean, you know, that's what happens to all the best receiving targets in the league at some point, you know, um, after you put together a few years and show, show what you're about. And so I'm not saying you have to force the ball to him or that was an issue in the first game, you know, sometimes where Walford just wasn't open or it was an ill-advised pass and car threw it in. Anyway, I'm not saying you have to go to 19, but, you know, he I think only it was one of two games this year that he has double digit targets. And for as talented as he is for, you know, the receiving core, obviously losing, you know, arguably their best receiver in rugs. It just makes more sense to lean further into targeting Waller and, and instead of kind of going away from him like they have since that season opener. I will say that with the Chiefs, DC's less doubles than you would think because Tyreek Hill takes, you know, gets a bunch of attention from defenses. What defenses do is they they don't really double Travis. They they'll have a guy bump him at the line of scrimmage and then and then they'll have somebody cover him after that. But I think you know with the Raiders, you don't really have a guy like Tyreek Hill to take away any attention from Darren Waller. But he does need you know like five or ten plays in the game plan where. You're trying to get him the ball no matter what, you know, and you're trying to get doubles off of him. And I agree that the Raiders just kind of give up when they see a bracket on him. You know, they just decide, all right, we're going to go somewhere else. But the problem is, you know, there's not much talent elsewhere to really move the ball when when Waller's getting doubled. So there, there has to be some designs to just get your best guy the ball somehow, you know, whether that's a screen play, whether you're, you're creating rub, rubs for him. I don't think the Bengals will double them as much just because it's not really in their identity. So this would be a good bounce back game, especially against a team that plays a ton of man coverage like the Bengals do. You know, one piece of news, I guess, um, kind of news was Rich Passaccia said uh, on Monday, I believe that, uh, you know, Richie Incognito, not really surprising since we haven't seen him yet, had suffered a setback. That's part of the frustrating thing with 
you know, when you rely on a guy of his age is that you just don't know how the health is going to factor in. And obviously he missed almost all of last season. Is there any hope that Incognito plays at all this season uh, after whatever this setback is? Well, I mean, I'll say there's still hope. I think I don't think he's given up. I think um, he wants to get back out there. He definitely um, has a lot of pride. And I wrote about his workout regimen in the offseason. He's a guy who is older, but in terms of his conditioning and his you know, his strength, it's kind of a, it's a little freakish for his age. So I think he's trying to get back. He's still got eight games left. I know Basaccia gave us a little timeline where Morrow, I guess, is first in line to come back. And then Mullins probably after that. And Richie had a setback. So I think... If this team is really a playoff team, if they can get to that point, maybe that's what you're hoping for. You get them back two weeks, you know, last two weeks of the season and are ready for the playoff run, if that's what you uh, believe you can do. So I think it's up to the guys, the rest of the guys in the O-line to kind of play a little better and make sure they have a chance to get them back and get, get a chance to, like, go to the next level. So I wouldn't say he's totally done. I think um, I'm sure he's very frustrated, as the Raiders are, but I think there's still a small window where he can be a factor this season. Moreau, I believe it was last week, he was getting in some on-field work with one of the, the Raiders staffers. And I haven't seen Mullen do that. Obviously, we haven't seen Incognito do that. So it does line up that, that Moreau would be, you know, the first one of that of that bunch to, to be able to come back sooner. You know, he, he got hurt at the same the same week as Incognito. They both got hurt during those Rams joint practices, but uh, it does seem like he'll he'll be back sooner. And obviously, in terms of other injuries, Alec Ingold out for the season with that torn ACL. Um, they did sign a, a new fullback. You know, it, it, that, that is a blow. I mean, you know, they don't fullbacks don't don't play a ton, but um, you know, the Raiders do use him a little bit in the passing game. He's shown his athleticism. He's he's really good on special teams, and that is tough. I mean, and you you can see, I think. And everybody acknowledges the on-field loss, but uh, it, it seemed like just there was kind of an emotional loss that, that a lot of the teammates seem to experience with him going down and knowing that he's got a long rehab ahead of him. And you tear an ACL at this point in the season, obviously put yourself on a timeline where even getting back for the start of next season is not guaranteed. Yeah, he's a guy who's become a leader on this team, I think definitely, um, especially on special teams. So I think um, there definitely is a void now with him being out there. They'll probably dial back some of the fullback stuff. They could still use Foster Moreau. I'm not sure they will, but uh, I would I would imagine they'll they'll throw away some of the play the pages in the playbook for uh, for fullback plays, I would think. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, Alec, I mean, he – before the games, he would do the, the the pregame speech in the huddle. You don't really see. It. I, I can't remember like a fullback having that role on a, on a team. So it just goes to show like the level of respect and camaraderie that he has with the guys. Um, I think anyway, under Olsen, since he's been the play caller, um, I'm writing a little bit about that in observations this week. Um, he's leaned a lot more towards eleven personnel. I know that's three wide receivers, one running back, one tight end, and so. Um, he's made the offense a, a lot more modern, I would say, and, and less varied when it comes to those personnel groupings, even before the end goal injury. And so we'll probably just see him continue to do more of the same in, in that area. All right. I want to go through, I have, I have a whole list here of things that the Raiders and Bengals have in common, not just this season, but in, in, in past seasons and recent seasons. As Ted would say, I did my research, um, did some research here, and I'm going to lay it out here. All right. So obviously the, the, the simple things, both teams are five and four with two straight losses. Three weeks ago, as I mentioned earlier, they were the number one and two seeds in the AFC. Uh, you look at who they've played. They both have lost to the Bears. They both have wins over the Steelers and Rams, and they both lost to bad teams in New York. The Raiders losing to the Giants, the Bengals lost to the Jets, and that shocker. Both are in divisions, the AFC West and the and the uh, AFC North, where every team has either five or six wins, and every team is at 500 or better. It's actually remarkable when you look across the AFC 
12 of the 16 teams are at 500 or better. Um, just shows you how jammed that is. The Bengals are coming off their bye. We know that the Raiders, when they lost to the, the Giants, they continued their streak where they have not won off of a bye since 2016. That loss improved their average margin of loss to 17.8 points. Well, the Bengals... Coming off a bye right now, they haven't won off of a bye since 2015 with an average margin of 23 points per loss. And then you go to the most recent games. We know the Raiders lost 41-14 to the Chiefs. Bengals lost 41-16 to the Browns. So, I mean, these are teams that are are kind of basically trending in that same direction. Started 5-2. and two, They are coming off blowout losses. It's it's kind of the, you know, the, the meme of the the two Spider-Mans kind of point at each other. I mean, and, and let's see which team can kind of put themselves back in the right direction. I'll say the one big difference is the Bengals still have their head coach and they still have their first round uh, wide receiver. So those are two big, uh, big exceptions to the similarities, but you're right. There's definitely uh, two teams are on the same, same path, I guess, trying to get off that path. A win definitely would be, it's early to say it's a must win game, but it really is a big game for you know, both these teams to kind of get back on the right track and, and have a huge edge over the other team as far as the tiebreakers go. I think it is a must win. I think not just you know because it'd be a third straight loss, but they're, they're going to have to turn around. I mean, either way it goes, they have to turn around on a short week and play the Cowboys on the road on Thanksgiving Day, which is you know a game obviously the Cowboys would be favored. If you lose four straight and drop to, you know, they, they'd be under 500 at that point, it kind of feels like, that's probably it, you know, um, when, it, when it comes to them. But even though there's, they'll still be in a playoff picture, it's just hard to see them kind of over, overcoming that with everything that has, has transpired this season. Technically, it's not a must win, but it kind of feels like it is when it comes to their playoff hopes. Yeah, and plus, you know, with the whole narrative of them just keep dropping games in the second half of the season, you don't want to get back into that mentality where you're just kind of thinking, you know, here we go again. You know, you have to get out of that funk and... This is a winnable game. Bengals have some talent, but they have some holes on their team as well. Their, you know, their defense has really dropped off since having a strong start. They don't do a ton of on defense, and I think you know in the past couple weeks, uh, teams have really messed with Derek Hart with some exotic type of defenses or just safeties moving around. So I think this is the type of game where you know Carr could have a big game. Hunter Renfro can go off against this type of coverage. So yeah, I agree. Like, this is a game. You have to win at home to get everything back on track. I mean, especially with the short week playing the Cowboys on Thanksgiving to follow. I mean, that's going to be a tough game just in and of itself. And so, like, you lose this one, suddenly you're five and five. You know, if you can't go upset the Cowboys on the road on a short week, you're five and six. And at that point, you know, you just start everything just starts spiraling. So, I mean, that's why I just think if they want to be a real playoff contender, I mean, Again, we said the AFC is so muddled that they can lose this game. They can lose to the Cowboys, and they can still recover and find a way into the playoffs. But if you want to feel like you're a real contender, I feel like you have to win this one. Yeah, I mean, the Bengals, it took me a minute to buy into them to start the season. And then, you know, once I think once they blew out the Ravens, I was kind of like on board. And they just <laughs> get smacked two, two weeks in a row. And so I'm like, eh. you know, I think their offense is legit for sure. Their defense is still kind of hit or miss from week to week. But I think their offense is pretty legit. But they do turn the ball over at a high rate. Um, Joe Burrow is tied for the league lead in interceptions right now. Um, and they don't create that many turnovers. And that's, really, that's been a big issue for the Raiders coming off the bye the last two weeks. Um, they, they committed five turnovers after committing just five um, prior to the bye. So if, if the Raiders can get back on, on the plus side and, and the turnovers this week, that could be also something that, because I think these teams are pretty evenly matched, but, you know, things like turnovers, penalties, which has been a huge, huge issue for the Raiders, those kind of fine details of the game, I think will end up deciding this one. 
And with the Bengals, you know, if you, if they could at least contain the run, you know, they're probably not going to stop the run just based on what we've seen this season. But if you could contain the run and get Burrow in some third down situations, the pass rush should be pretty good against this uh, Bengals offensive line. They're better run blockers than they are pass blockers. And like you said, Burrow could throw up some interceptions if you pressure him. So, you know, obviously they have a pretty good receiver duo in T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. And they have some other guys that, that can run routes as well. But yeah, if you're, if you're able to pressure him, you know, I, I think they could have a good day against um, that offensive line. But the key would be, you know, you can't just let them gash you with the run, you know, with 10 yard gains after one after the other. So that's going to be a huge challenge for the Raiders. And defensively, you know, I think this is a game where they have to get the running game back on track too. I just don't think that they could ask Derek Carr to just drop back as many times as he has. I thought they were improving against the Eagles and the Giants, but they have to get the running game back on track against the Bengals, who are 20th in DVOA against the, against the rush. I would think they, they want to get Josh Jacobs a, a bounce back game here. You look at Jamar Chase's rookie season, and um, obviously, especially through the first seven games, he was incredible. Um, his, you know, he had didn't have a game with fewer than 54 receiving yards. You know, every game was in the 60s or or higher in, in catch percentage, except for he had one game where he caught two or four targets. The last two weeks, he has been slowed down in their two losses uh, against the Jets. He was targeted nine times, only had three catches, 32 yards, a touchdown. Then against the Browns two weeks ago in that blowout loss, 13 targets, six catches, 49 yards. So last two weeks, the first two times he's been under 50 yards receiving. First two times he's had a catch percentage of less than 50%. You know, I don't think we can say that the NFL is figuring anything out about him because he's a really special receiver. But, I mean, I think that's going to be a key for the Raiders is to, is to try to help slow him down. You can't have him going off like he did against the Ravens. Uh, you know, that was that that three-week stretch where he had you know, six catches, 159 against the Packers, four for 97 against the Lions, and then the huge game against the Ravens, eight catches for 201 yards. If he does that to the Raiders on Sunday, then they're in trouble. Yeah, and Chase, I mean, he's obviously known for being a deep threat, but he's also extremely physical and, and a great you know yardage after the catch type receiver. And that was like a strange issue for the Raiders against the Chiefs. It was tackling. I think they missed I'm calling, I think it was 17% of their tackle attempts, which was a season high. They've been one of the most sure tackling teams in the league this season. But if that issue continues against a guy like Chase, I mean, he's going to fight through those tackles and pick up extra yardage and could kind of, you know, do some of the same stuff that Kelsey was doing last week that really caused him issue uh, in, in their pass defense. I do think the defense is better than they looked against the Chiefs. Obviously, you know, not every team has Patrick Mahomes and Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. But, you know, the weaknesses of the cover three are still allowing those underneath passes. And, you know, they're, they're really relying on rallying and being able to tackle guys before they gain a lot of yards. And, and if tackling is, is suddenly becomes an issue, then they could continue to give up some some bigger you know, yardage shows um, through the passing game. Jamar Chase is good after the run. Joe Mixon is a guy that can't catch the ball and he's pretty hard to, to tackle an open field. And uh, they're tight end. CJ Uzuma? He's, he's pretty good after the run, too. That's all I know. So that's going to be a challenge. you got to tackle these guys in open field. Like you said, they've been pretty good at tackling throughout the season. But against the Chiefs, it all just kind of went out the door. So, you know, I think they'll be able to contain the deep passes just because they've been so good at it throughout the season. But they, they have to be able to tackle these guys when um, in open field when they throw short. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're going to move on to some questions here, and this first one is going to be targeted at Ted. This one's from Patrick D. Jonathan Abram was playing so well a few weeks back that we got a Ted breakdown article, and then we see him absolutely steamrolled by the Chiefs. Was this a regression on his part, or is he just outmatched with more aggressive offenses? Or is it just that Ted jinxed him? That's my addition to the question. But we were praising Jonathan Abram a couple weeks ago, and now uh, he's back to kind of looking like the guy that we saw before. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he blew any coverages, you know, which was a big problem last year. But I I just think against the Chiefs, everybody played bad. And obviously he was lined up on Travis Kelsey's side a lot. And Travis Kelsey can be a real tough matchup, especially if you don't press him. You know, teams were having success pressing him but the Raiders just aren't that type of team they didn't press Travis Kelsey he had a bunch of free releases and it's hard to stop him and then you have that kind of crazy jump ball to uh Williams um and he just kind of mossed him which was just a really strange play I, you know I don't think that kind of play is going to happen to him too often so yeah you, you have bad games but I just think Jonathan Abram is, is a limited safety you know he has limitations and you know, I think he can be a solid player. It's just a box safety, but there are times when those type of safeties get exposed in, in, in the modern NFL. So as long as he gets back to a baseline and, you know, he, he's not having to face a guy like Travis Kelsey every week, uh, I think he'll be okay. But, you know, I just don't think we're going to see him become like a star type of safety. Yeah, against the Chiefs, he was targeted nine times for allowed nine catches, 127 yards, two touchdowns. But it's not like they were playing like man coverage, you know, where like the targets are a little more indicative of, of how he played. Uh, you know, I think it's a little different when you're you're playing zone. I was going to be uh, Mr. Negative and say if you know, we talk about all the other bad draft picks, but if, if his best case scenario is a, a not bad box safety, that is a really bad pick in the first round. But. We'll see. Maybe it's young. He's, he's early in his career. Maybe he can take another step. But uh, I think we see his limitations. And I think it's a little, uh, a little alarming. Next question here is from Sean S. We're going to bring the, the more positive vibe back from Sean. Uh, the 2002 Raiders opened 4-0, lost four straight, and then went to the Super Bowl. I'm a glass-half-full Raider fan. We do exist. I think 10 wins gets them into the playoffs, so let's finish 5-3. and three. Agreed? <laughs> that was a great that's a great question <laughs> i agree it, it wasn't really a question it was just a statement and he wants us all to agree uh 
I'm not going to agree. I disagree. Yeah, nah. I mean, Tim wins, I mean, probably with, with the way the AFC West, I mean, not the AFC West, the AFC is now, but I don't, I'm not as confident that they're getting to that 10 number as I was two weeks ago, which I know <laughs> it's the nature of podcasting. But uh, yeah, I, I'm sorry, man. Can't agree with you. The Chiefs lost just guard us. I mean, I think, you know, we mentioned earlier, they played so well against the Chiefs. They won the one game. They almost won at home. You know, they just, it, it's, it seemed like even though their season didn't, you know, eight and eight, whatever, wasn't great. I think you, you had reason to be optimistic about them having, like, they kind of learned how to play against the Chiefs. And the fact that they go into this season where they look like they were an improved team and then they get absolutely steamrolled by a Chiefs team that didn't seem as good as they've been the last past last couple of years. That's where I think it's just hard to keep that optimism going is that they judge themselves and we judge them by how they compare to the Chiefs and rightfully so. And um, they did not compare well at all. I think for me, it was more so like the Giants loss because I was like they hadn't really had a loss this season where it was like, ah, oh, they just lost to a terrible or not a terrible. Yeah, the Giants pretty terrible, like a, a pretty bad team. The Bears lost. It was like the Gruden thing. It just happened. Like, I, you know, I, I kind of gave them, you know, a pass for that one. But losing to the Giants and the way that they lost coming off the bye, I was like, eh, that seems like a, like the last couple of years Raiders type of a loss. Um you know, I mean, I mean, losing to a team team like the Chiefs can happen, but you can't lose those team those those games against bad teams that you're supposed to win and be a team that's going to make the postseason, especially when you have a, one of the more difficult schedules in the league. And so that kind of made me more concerned. The Chiefs game made me even more concerned. So it's like looking at their schedule while there definitely are winnable games on there. Of course, it's like there's there's none that I feel like oh they're absolutely winning that game. You know, whereas you know if they handled their business against some of their lesser opponents, I, I'd probably feel differently. Like if you look at their schedule, three winnable games. I think the Bengals, Washington Football Team, and the Denver Broncos, and then the, you know iffy teams, the Colts and the Chargers. It's possible they they could upset one of the better teams like the Cowboys too. You never know, but they do have a pretty difficult schedule. He didn't ask you if it was possible. He asked you to agree. He said, agree with me or not. He didn't say, is my theory possible? I just think for me, Giants' loss was whatever. But last week, I thought they looked unprepared. I didn't have any adjustments. So I really question for the first time in a while the coaching staff and just if they are already really up for this challenge. So um, it's a big week for them. I mean, more so than the players in my mind. they got to have a good game plan and have the ability to make some changes if things don't go according to their first plan. So uh, that, to me, was why I've lost. I was like fully – I was driving the, the bandwagon a week ago, but now I've no – Ready to take another victory lap? Yeah, I've parked the bandwagon. I got off. I hopped on a bus back the other direction. So, um, yeah, I'll have to wait. I, I got to see it before I can agree with uh, Tim. I got to see something different than I saw the last two weeks. All right, speaking of the coaching staff, this question from Mark L. Is Rich Patashia being too hands-off with Greg Olson and Gus Bradley and leaving them too much to their own devices? He's a special teams coordinator. I mean, he's who's thrust into the head coaching role midway through the season. I mean, yeah, he's got a lot of experience in the NFL. He's coached a lot of football, blah, blah, blah. He's never been a head coach. He's never been in charge of an offense. You know, he's coached running backs, so he has, you know, had some role in the, in the offense before. But, you know, he's, he's never had a, a role on defense. I mean, he's been a special teams coach. So I think the only way they could really go about this season would be to kind of have him be the overseer and let the coordinators you know, take on their role. I mean, it's just it's not an easy situation. You know, we talked about it before when Gruden's resignation first happened is that most of the time when a coach is gone midway through the season, the season is lost already. You're not thinking that the playoffs are still a possibility. This was a rare time where 
you had a team that was a playoff contender and even a division contender that lost their coach. So normally it's just you, you don't scrutinize these things as much. But I mean, I, I don't think there's really any option other than for Basaccia to kind of let those guys handle it and kind of check in here and there. But um, I mean, for him to take over the offense or take over the defense uh, it isn't realistic. I mean, that's the point that of, you know, making him the interim coaches so that you can have those guys do their own thing and not mess with their routine. So that's just the structure that they choose. They chose to go with. I'll say this. Though. I wonder if going forward, if say they, they lose again or if they have trouble getting back on track to Mark Davis. I'm sure he talks to Masachi. If he has some question marks or concerns, things he wants to see, he hasn't seen these last few games. He tells Rich these things. Does Rich do those things? Does Mark Davis now have a voice because of Versace's inexperience as far as not being a head coach or a guy who's made changes? So will Mark Davis have a voice as far as if he thumb things he's not seeing on offense or defense he wants to see, will those things then all of a sudden find their way into a game plan? That's my big question mark going forward. So you got Mark Davis making football decisions now? <laughs> I'm saying it's possible. Just think about it. I mean, if he's unhappy, I'm sure he's not happy in the last two weeks. I'm sure he's talking to Rich about that. I'm sure he's saying, hey, man, I don't know what the F this was you know, on Sunday night. Well, why don't we do this? Why can we do that? I would imagine those things have to weigh heavily on a guy who wants to be the head coach next year. So I have to imagine that at some point those things may get implemented. Get to that point, things have gone way off the rails, folks. We are <laughs> a guy that has to agree his, his, his hopes have been dashed, even the glass half full guy. Uh. Man, if Mark Davis starts making football decisions, I think about the only thing worse could be maybe like if Will Kiss started making football decisions, that would be uh, that would be pretty bad. <laughs> Will's, Will's a very savvy football mind. I wouldn't shortchange Will Kiss. Nah, nah, I don't, I, I don't trust anything to Will Kiss. All right, last question here. It's a, it's a second one from Patrick D. You know, Tashan, you said the questions have gone off the rails, so why does well just like go completely off the rails with this one? Everyone was up in arms about Arnett totaling four rental cars in a month. But did Marcus Allen once abandon a rental car running on the street with the keys in it so he could make it to the Super Bowl on time? Should we have gone a little easier on our net for following a proud Raider tradition? The Marcus Allen story is hilarious. I, it, for those who don't know it, he had a rental car and he drove himself to the Super Bowl. You know, in you know those kind of days, I, I guess it wasn't a, as much of a thing that everybody has to hop on a bus and there's like you know security line bus rides there. He just thought he could drive himself to the game. And so he he gets in his car and he drives there and, you know, he gets up to the the parking attendant. And he, oh, yeah, where's the player's lot? And like, I'm like, do you have a pass? Like, no, you know, I'm just I'm a player. Like, you know, I, I, just, I need to go to the game. Like, well, you need a pass. Like, you know, you can't, I'm not just going to let you in. And I forget, somebody else was in the car with him. At some point, like, the, the parking attendant looks away and he basically just, throws the car in park, grabs his bag, and they both just hop out and start running. He says he has no idea whatever happened to the rental car. He just left it there because he had to go play and didn't really have time to bother with uh, with getting his rental car parked or returned and um, totaling four rental cars or crashing four rental cars. Uh, I, I think you, you, still, uh, you still deserve to be dinged for that one. I think Marcus Allen's more of a baller moving. That's kind of like, it shows you like, you, yeah. you're the man. He didn't crash it. Yeah, you're the man. You can just leave behind other cars. Who cares? I'm like, if you get billed for the whole price of the car, no big deal. I mean, as long as, again, with Arnett, I think 
they knew they, they'll say he you know matured he was they hoped he had been focused but they knew there was some issues with him off the field as long as he played well on the field they're gonna be able to deal with those things they thought but that part never happened so I mean the old they want he's the old type Raider guys they always said and that that's the like you mentioned guys in the past guys who did things that were a little crazy but they played well they played hard and they made a difference and he did not so it wasn't worth the headache and not even a little bit so I think uh in this case, I have to say there's no comparison between crashing uh, four runner cars and leaving your car behind. There are two reasons why that's totally different. One, they made the Super Bowl. And two, Dave Narnett had three pass breakups his entire career and four crash <laughs> hurts rental cars. <laughs> that's a bad ratio. All right. <laughs> Hashtag research. We talk about touchdown interception ratio. He's got PBU to crash car ratio. So that's going to be Ted's favorite stat for the rest of his life. Marcus Allen has a 43 rushing touchdowns to one missing rental car ratio. Analysis. We have gone fully off the rails here. All right. So it is prediction time. Deshaun, you were the one person to predict the Chiefs' victory last week. You were the smart one that took the Raiders losing. So we'll let you bat lead off here. Raiders open up, or Raiders are one-point home underdogs to the Bengals. Uh, what do you got? Yeah, um, I think the Bengals are going to win this one, 27-24. I think the defense plays better than it did against the Chiefs, but I just ask, ask, I, don't, I don't know about the offense. I think the running game kind of is what it is at this point. Um, the offensive line is still kind of week to week, hit or miss. With their you know receiving cores, obviously it's not as talented as it once was for reasons that weren't, weren't in their control. But I just don't think this is the same offense uh, as a year ago. That's, that seems to be pretty clear at this point. And um, you know while the Bengals' defense has fluctuated, I think they're good enough to to cause the Raiders some some issues on that side of the ball, especially at the Chiefs' defense, which you know while it's been better, it's still not very good what they were able to do containing the Raiders on offense. So I just don't think the offense is able to put up enough points to get the win in this one. It's, it still kind of feels weird to say that, just given like how it was last year to be in a complete opposite. But I think the defense probably plays well enough to win, but I don't think the offense puts up enough points. I'll pick the Raiders. And this will be the last time I pick the Raiders against a team with a winning record if they lose this game, because <laughs> I think they have to be desperate in this game. I really feel like this is a, is a must-win game for them against a team that, is good, but still beatable. There, there's holes on, on this team. So, you know, I, I think Derek Carr is a bounce back game. I think Deshaun Jackson will get more playing time and he'll make an impact. So I'll, I'll take the Raiders 28 to 24. I actually had the same score as Deshaun, so I'll change. I'll go 30-24 uh, Bengals. I believe, um, I think the Bengals are probably better at this point. I think they're better offensively. And I, to me, I have this nagging suspicion after watching the game Sunday that you know the Raiders defense we gave him a lot of credit Gus Bradley did a great job and talked about the patchwork he brought guys in former players who maybe weren't like totally like in demand across the league and they maybe overachieved it I think maybe they did overachieve I think maybe that 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 patchwork defense may start showing some holes I think um and again to me the run defense has been a consistent thing all year it's not been there I just think Joe Mixon's gonna have a big day so I'm going with the uh the Bengals uh I'm totally off the bandwagon Bengals 30-24 I do want to say something because I know my my predictions record for the Raiders in terms of when I was right is terrible, but I did predict them to be five and four through nine games, and they are five and four through nine games. And also in our experts picks that I've been doing, I know Vic does his picks. I also do some picks. 
My winning percentage is is sixty three point eight, which is the second best of the guys who've been making extra picks. So hey, I'm not that bad. I you know I'm I'm ninety five and fifty four. You know what I'm saying? That's a pretty good betting record right there, if I do say so myself. So you know what I mean. Put yeah. some put some respect on my name when it comes to predictions. Respect. See, I was hoping you guys all were gonna pick the Bengals, and and I was just gonna go ahead and pick the Raiders, just not because I have seen anything to believe that they should win. <laughs> But what a leader. <laughs> it's kind of like whatever you expect them to do, they seem to do the opposite. So that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to say they win 31 24 just because my head tells me that this team is is on its it's floundering and it is going to lose should lose. You know, Vegas has them as underdogs and. You know, that's kind of what my head tells me, but I'm just going to go ahead and, and pick the opposite because um, that's kind of where this team is at. I mean, obviously, we still know they have they have enough talent offensively and, and we've seen enough on defense that they like they can beat any team pretty much any week. Um, we saw what they did against, you know, the Ravens, all that kind of stuff. So I, I'm going to I'm going to call that they get their turnaround. They get to six and four. I still don't know what December is going to look like, but uh, they're going to find a way. Um, they're they're going to go the opposite of, of what they should be doing, and they're going to get a win. So uh, we're split 50-50. Ted and I got the wins. You guys got the losses. I think all four of us have no idea. I mean, that's the thing. There's, no. there's it's going to end in a tie. It's going to yeah, be a tie. If, yeah. if we had any idea, we wouldn't be doing this because we would just be putting all of our money in every week on these games, and we would just be sitting on an island somewhere drinking pina coladas or whatever. All right, guys. Well, that'll wrap up this episode of State of the Nation. It, it got off the rails at times. We tried to bring it back. We probably lost it a few more times, but just like the Raiders season, uh, it's that time of the year. <laughs> exactly. We're <laughs> we're trying to mimic the Raiders season as best we can, um, at least in some regards, not in all. But um, all right, we will be back on Sunday after the Raiders take on the Cincinnati Bengals. Later. Adios. But again, it could be the freakish peck thing, so who knows? I want to find out what happened to the peck.